welcome to the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, a podcast where we explore all aspects of church life while also shining a spotlight on good practice in your local church. My name is David Meredith, I'm the Mission Director for the Free Church of Scotland based in Edinburgh and I'll be your host. If you like what you hear, then please like, share and subscribe. Spread the news. Again, a very warm welcome to the Healthy Gospel Church podcast. Uh, my name is David Meredith, and as usual, I am your host today. And what we do is we just talk to a variety of people about ministry and various issues about about church, about healthy church. Uh, it's geared for, you know, folk, just ordinary church members, uh, as well as for ministers and ministers' wives and families. So uh, I have a guest today, an old friend and colleague, uh, the Reverend Callum McLeod. Callum is a minister in Shawbust, which is in the island of, of Lewis. Um, as, as you know, Scotland's a very diverse country. The island of Lewis is in the Western Isles, uh, a group of islands called the Outer Hebrides, just you know, at the far west of Scotland, very different environment, very different culture, indeed sometimes language to many of you listeners will be aware of it, others of our listeners will not be. Callum, a very warm welcome to the podcast today. Thanks David, it is a pleasure and a privilege for me to take part in this and look forward to your questions and hopefully they can stimulate some interesting ideas and reflect something of life in the church in Shawbust and the Western Isles. Great. Well, you're you're come to the end. You, you've announced the ending of at least one phase of your ministry. We'll touch on that in the ministry. You've announced your retirement to as minister of Shawbust. Anyway, can you tell us a, a wee bit about your journey into ministry? Well, my journey into ministry was quite late on in life. I was a, a BT engineer for 23 years. I was enjoying my work there. I was working at the kind of cutting edge of new technology. I was, I was working with fiber optics and, and upgrade networks, so I loved my work, and uh, I was quite happy in it. Until about 1992, I started feeling a sense of call, and over a couple of years, that sense of call became very persuasive, and I lost interest in the work that I loved, and felt I had to apply for ministry. And interesting, on that journey, People were kind of central to my journey, and certain key individuals were were used by God to kind of push me along the way. Two of these, the first was a late Reverend Murdali MacLeod, who was a minister in Stornoway, who died suddenly in 1995. That was a significant day. And my own father passed away suddenly on 5th November 1996. So these two people in my life, they were the means in God's hand of just showing me along and, and I left my work and applied for ministry and went to Edinburgh in 1997. So that's a brief overview of how I got here. So I went from telecommunications, transmitting light, to preaching the gospel and transmitting the light of the world. So nothing better. Yeah. Absolutely. Would you agree that there's lots of elements in a call? You know, we, we talk about personal persuasion, a sense of call. Um, there's also the exterior, isn't there? The the group of churches that we belong to have to call us, and ultimately a congregation has to call us. So, w- would you agree that there's various levels to a call? Yes, I think that's that's absolutely right. I think there's first of all there's a, a kind of sense of personal inner call, and then secondly there's the confirmation of the church. So the, the church confirms your call, 
And then the final confirmation is when God calls you, a congregation calls you to be a full-time minister or into a full-time ministerial appointment. So there are the three stages. Uh, and the final confirmation is when you have the three together, which are a trinity of, of steps, uh, and uh, it gets you there. And these are the final confirmations. And, and once you have the three, I think they are necessary f- to strengthen you along the way when the going gets tough and you've got that confirmation of your personal call, confirmation of the church and confirmation of your call to a congregation. Okay. So how many years have you been now in Shawbust? Well, by the time I retired on the 31st of October, that would be 23 years. I was inducted here on the 27th of October, the year 2000. So guys like myself and Colin McLeod and Matthew Corsell's the Millennium Boys. Because we came out of, of EGS in May 2000 and went into different congregations mm-hmm. later that year. I mean, I, I served my church in Smithton for 31 years. I, I tend to think that long ministries are better than short. It's difficult to generalise. Have, have you any opinion on that? Before I or when I came into ministry, I thought short-term ministry was good for the minister himself and and for variety as well. But, but having been here for this length of time, that I think long-term ministry is, is, is really beneficial because I'm in a kind of Harris Tweed community here and your life gets kind of woven into the fabric of the community life. You're, you kind of see children going, growing up in the church. You see families. You're, you know, you're so involved with people, and it's a real privilege and pleasure to to have that familiarity and relationship with families. You know, year after year, and uh, it brings. I think it brings its own extra challenges in keeping fresh in your actual pulpit ministry. I think that is one of the challenges. But but having experienced. The last twenty odd years, I think it's really exciting being involved with people over that course of time and that period of their lives. Yeah, I, th- I think it's true as well that many of us in, in, in the free church we're not just ministers of, of congregations, but some of us, like you, you're the only church in in Shawbust. Some of us are really parish ministers, community ministers, which I think is, is a really good model, and that you're ministering to folk who may not even. Attend is that has that been your experience? Absolutely, that there's there's a real pleasure and in, in, in sensing God sending you to people who who aren't very connected with church and, and you're you're pastoring them, you're encouraging them, you're supporting them through through good times and bad times, and, and it's great to have that sense of you know. I, I guess we all like to feel a sense of being needed, but I think it's. It's good for a minister in a community church like this to, to, to feel that people can actually come to your door and look for your help and look for your support and look for guidance as well. So it's it's great to have that sense of open door to everyone in the community. Good. Yeah, I, I often tell, you know, the, the guys that I'm, I'm helping, I'm coaching, I'm churches that I'm working with to have a, not a, what I call a sectarian mindset, you know, that they don't just minister to the particular sect, and I mean that in a technical sense of, of people, but to try and think of, of a wider community. Just moving on, I mean, you've announced your retirement, at least from Shawbust. I know that you'll, you're not retired, you'll be doing other stuff. What's your thoughts well, my, it was the, the hardest decision of my life, I think, to actually decide that I'm going to retire. Um, it was hard 
going public with our decision to my people, I know it's going to be an absolute wrench, and uh, I'm not looking forward to the actual date of, of departure. I think, as I said earlier, so many people are kind of woven into my heart and into my experience. It's going to be difficult to leave them. As you know, in Gaelic, we see when a minister is inducted, it's a pausing, it's a marriage. And in that marriage, there are so many kind of emotions and affections and relationships in that, in that congregation. It's going to be difficult to see that marriage has come to an end. And uh, I guess you sense God is calling you and sending you to a congregation, but if you're leaving the congregation, you are saying that, that God has now seen that your ministry here is has been fulfilled. And all of these things are, are difficult to, to work through. And I guess the most, what I'm not what I'm looking forward to least is not getting up in the morning and feeling that I need to prepare a message for my own people. I love that aspect of ministry where, where the word is for them and that you've got that role in life. And uh, I will miss that because I love preaching as well as pastoring and not to have that focus and that connection with people when I study the word. It's, it's going to be difficult to, to, to reach that kind of inactivity. I know there will be opportunities to, to preach, but as you know yourself, it won't be the same as preaching to your own people. And I will certainly miss that. But I'm looking forward to, to rest and to retire. Yeah, which kind of leads me naturally on to my, my other question a minister's identity is very often wrapped up in his his his, his ministry. Um, is that a temptation? And have you managed to to avoid that? I think you're saying it is a bit of a struggle. I mean, uh, uh, can you see life beyond Shabbos? How how have you avoided that your your actual identity is not tied up with being a minister? I think that's really challenging in ministry to 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 make that distinction. I think I've tried to, to focus on my identity through my own personal devotions, through my own reading of the Word of God, and through through my own kind of life of prayer with God. I'm trying to to see that as what's personal to me and what builds me up in my own personal faith. And I think unless I do that, unless we do that, we'll lose the energy from our public ministry. So much of, of, of public service and ministry is so dependent on, on our own personal relationship with God and it's maintaining that sense of identity otherwise we slip into instead of looking for our sense of inner well-being from our identity we go and seek that sense of well-being from our calling and and it's we're never going to get it there and it's if we get it in our identity then it gives definitely gives us energy in our, in our ministry and with everyday pressures in ministry, there's a danger of devotional life being overtaken by, by pastoral duties and, and your focus on preparing for your people instead of studying for yourself. It's always a challenge, and the more involved we are in, in pulpit pastoral and in church life, the more demands on our time, the more we're in danger of, of losing that sense of identity. But it's so key and so crucial to our enjoyment of ministry, I think, if if we maintain that personal sense of identity as a, as a child of God. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've been in ministry for 23 years. You've been a believer now for over 30 years. The world today is very different world to the world 30 years ago. You were converted at a time of 
we wouldn't say revival, but certainly spiritual health. We all know that the, the spiritual temperature in, in the islands, as in the rest of Scotland, is not what it was. Can you just uh, reflect on your experience and the changes, what, what has changed, what's been good and what's been bad? Is there changes in the church or changes in general? Just change both in the church and in society. We'll start off, first of all, in, in the church. What's, what's been good, what's been bad? I think when I reflect on, on life and in the, in the, in the church you lose it, it has changed a lot since I came into ministry. You know, I think we had a, we were privileged in the islands with a heritage of revival. And I didn't experience that myself. My father's generation did, so that there was kind of that overspill. Uh, and we benefited as young Christians from seeing discipleship coming out of revival, seeing the way people were so committed to, to the Lord and their own personal lives and, and, and kind of pastoring and, and, and discipling young people. That There was a real atmosphere for development or for growth for young people. I think we've lost that sense of, of the importance and the practice of informal fellowship, especially, which was the platform for discipling when, when I was a young Christian. I think we've definitely lost that now to a, to a great extent. And that change means that we need to be looking at how to reinvent that platform for for informal discipling because it's so central to, to the building up of our people in, in their faith. So that's been a great change, and we need to make adjustments to, to, to address that. The other change, I think, as far as ministry is concerned, is the people's expectation of the minister. I think we've moved from the minister being the person who preaches in the pulpit on the Lord's Day to the minister now being the person who's expected to be involved in everything, especially in our community. So, And that's been a great shift since kind of 80s and 90s to where we're at now, which gives the minister great advantages and opportunities. Is that good or bad? It's great for the opportunities that, that, that it gives to a minister. But thinking of, of ministry, I think it potentially it could be the cause of us stressing the ministry because there are so many expectations and because the opportunities are there, the minister wants to be involved in so many things to get the gospel out there and to just to witness to people and be part of the fabric of the community. And I think there is a danger of of, of creating stress in the ministry. And uh, we need to be careful about that. And I think perhaps we're seeing examples of that in different ways in, in ministry. Stress arising from people's expectations and ministry ministers being perhaps overcommitted in what they're doing and in the long term that that's unsustainable. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we would all agree that there's been a, a decline in the spiritual temperature. Uh, do you, have you any, any reasons for that? Have you identified anything in, in the wider culture and in, in the atmosphere that's that's contributed to that decline? I think when, when, I, when I think of, of the way that Church and Lewis came out of a, a revival kind of culture. I'm concerned that, that coming out of that, there was an imbalance, an imbalance between the emphasis on the, on the sovereignty of God, where by the grace of God we're saved, and 
God will work, of course, He will do that. And imbalance between that and our responsibility. And uh, having that at a personal level, you know, people will listen to the gospel and they will say, well, if I'm, if I'm going to be saved, God will save me. So, so it's there seems to be an imbalance. And it's always going to emphasize the sovereignty of God, but not at the exclusion of, of man's responsibility. And I think that has also impacted on congregational life in general, that when it comes to, to mission and to making disciples and to evangelism, I I think that that imbalance has also affected the work of our congregations in being missional. They're not mission-minded, and therefore they're not missional. And I think that's one of the reasons why, why there, is, there is a decline. And we've gone from an era where people who came from revival background were always church attenders, and the exceptions were those who didn't go to church. With that generation largely moving on, we're now in a culture where we don't have so many church goers in the sense of being adherents. The church needs to respond to that and to reconnect with the community and, and to make connections with. Because in most of our communities here, there's been a depopulation and there's been a repopulation. So the demographics have changed. And uh, as a church, we need to recognize that and adjust what we have been doing to ensure that we are connecting with all of her people. Yeah, because uh, I, I guess, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more familiar with the island of Sky than Lewis, and there's a lot of what the term given, uh, I hope it's not an offensive term, is white settlers, you know, folk who are not indigenous. Do you have that in Lewis as well, a lot of non-indigenous folk living in the area? A lot coming into all of our communities now, and, and largely they're not churchgoers, and, and they, they integrate into community life and every other thing, most of them. And, and But when it comes to church going, it's, it's like a no-go area. So you, you touched there on revival, which really interests me, because uh, there were various waves of revival in Lewis. You know, you think of the 19th century with... Alexander MacLeod preaching on the, the shore there in, in Balanakia, the revival in the 30s, another one in the 50s, one or two small awakenings. There's a, I shouldn't say revival's ever a, a hindrance, that's not true, but uh, is, is there a sense then that revival gave the folk a, a, a false sense of, of spiritual energy that maybe wasn't true of, of the rest of, of the country? It certainly gave spiritual energy. Um, the folks that were around me when I was convert who, who came out of revival, their Christianity was infectious. Mm. And, and really, Good word, yeah. Their presence, fellowship with them was essentially in God's presence. You know, they had been with Jesus kind of thing, and, and you absolutely knew that. That freshness, I think, it is perhaps not exclusive to a revival situation, but it's something that's very particular to it. And uh, do we have that freshness now? Uh, personally, I, I don't think I have the same freshness. And I think that same kind of freshness is not evident. Like you mentioned Alexander MacLeod and the revival in Uig. And in these days, folks would go from Braga to Uig on a Sunday morning to listen to a sermon and come back that Sunday evening. And there were no cars, and they went across by boat from Priaskit Kalanish, and they did that regularly. So there was the freshness, but there was also the hunger for God's word, whatever it took. 
you know, they would do it because they needed to hear the gospel preached. So there's freshness, freshness and there's that hunger that's an evidence of, of, of a lively kind of relationship with the Lord. And these are things that, that we saw in revival, the things that we, we look for now. And and I guess we were always in danger of living with comparisons. And there's a, there's a danger in comparisons that this generation is not like the world and they were always better than us. And there's always that danger of comparison. But, but comparison also be helpful because it can stimulate us to to think of, of what we can do and we're in a different world and what we need to do differently perhaps to kind of regain that freshness and have that hunger. And fellowship does that and and connecting with people does that. And these are the challenges, I think, too. How can we make the comparisons and how can we learn from a generation that, that was influential in Zondi in order to make ourselves meaningful and relevant and influential in our own day in the world that has changed so much, as we said earlier. Now, uh, another job that you have is Principal Clark of the General Assembly of the Free Church of Scotland. Again, a lot of our listeners are, are not from a Presbyterian background, Free Church background, or even Scottish background. Um, c- can you just tell folk what, the principal clerk does. I mean, I know that you really enjoy that aspect of the work. Um, can you just out- outline what the main tasks are? Well, uh, as you know, the, the General Assembly is the, the highest kind of meeting of the church. I mean, we have the General Assembly, we have Presbyterian and Kirk sessions. So we have that kind of structure. So the General Assembly meets once per year. Uh, and uh, the role of the Assembly clerk is to make arrangements for the General Assembly, which meets in May every year, uh, to make arrangements for the Commission of Assembly, which are two smaller meetings of the General Assembly that meet in October and March. So it's ensuring that business from boards and committees of the church and from kick sessions and presbyteries is prepared and in order for the General Assembly to take that up annually. So there's that sense of organising the General Assembly. There's a sense of, of, of uh, managing the Assembly Clark's office and its administrative role in, in helping the church on behalf of the Assembly during the year that is providing support. And the, the principal clerk tends to be the kind of go-to person. So there's that kind of support for presbyterian sections and for boards and committees. There's also a kind of pastoral role because individuals may come with questions that are important to them and, and to help them through, through perhaps difficult issues or the you know, and along with that pastoral side of it. And nowadays, because of where the church is at and because so much of our practices and procedures are very dated, there's a lot of work undertaken during these years in revising and updating the practices. And that's a, a large chunk of work that needs to be done, some of which has been done, but some which will be done in the coming years. So there's, the, there's preparing for the General Assembly, there's supporting boards, committees, press and kick sessions, and there's ensuring that the practice and procedures of the church are up to date and relevant to what the church is doing today. Okay, now uh, let's just talk a, a few other things. You, you are a free church man. Uh, I am a free church man. Uh, we're both 
what we call cradle-free kirkers. We were born, baptised within the denomination. Um, a firm denominational loyalty. Let's talk about that for for a wee bit. Um, I think I think it's a good thing. Uh, I think there can be a downside. Can can you talk a little bit about a denominational loyalty and what's good and what could be bad about it? I think at one level, it's reflected in a call to a minister, because when we sign a call to a minister, we are committing ourselves uh, to respect, to encourage, and to give obedience to them in the Lord. So there is that kind of loyalty which comes through our denominational structure and where you have that loyalty to ministry in a congregation. And I think perhaps we're losing sight of that level of commitment on the part of our people when they do sign a call to a minister. I think there needs to be a uh, an encouragement in that area because that's a level of denominational loyalty which which can affect a, a ministry and uh, that our people should be careful to ensure that they maintain that. But in a broader sense, I tend to think of denominationalism in the context of the doctrine of the church. So why the Free Church of Scotland? Well, I'm thinking, what does the Bible say about the church? So I'm thinking the spiritual independence of the church. I'm speaking of the way in which we have Presbyterian form of church government where we have Presbyterian sessions to manage the Great Commission, to support our people, to pastor our people. So when I think of denominationalism and I ask why the free church, I, I look at it in the context of the Bible and the, the Reformation. And I think we need to educate our people on what denominational really means in that biblical kind of context. I remember a discussion with the late Professor Don McLeod was visiting at Communion and we had lots of young people coming into the church in, Lewis, uh, in the early 2000s. And he made a statement which always stuck with me and that was that we need to keep our people through their consciences. In other words, we need to explain to them why they are, where they are, and who they are as the children of God, but also in the sense of belonging to the church. I think that he made a very crucial point, and I think unless we ensure that we're doing that, people will not understand what denominational means in the context of the Bible. And if we explain and teach our people the doctrine of the church as well as the doctrines of grace, then there will be a commitment to the church without using the idea of denominationalism. It's a commitment to the church because we understand this is the church of Christ and that's without any disrespect to any other denomination. So it's denominationalism in the sense of the doctrine of the church and the role of the church and the role of the people within that church. So I think it's a good thing. Yeah, an image I often use is, um, you know, I'm I'm really big on subscription to the confession. Uh, I, you know, there's this phrase, a church without walls. I I don't like that. I I think a confessional commitment is like walls, and these are pretty solid walls. I also like a fairly a church with a fairly big big room. And you know, the, the free church these days is quite diverse. You go into, you know, we we look different, we dress different, um, you know, there's there's lots of differences in lots of congregations. But there are these 
pretty firm walls. Uh, and I'm happy in a big room as long as there's firm walls. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing you kind of share the fact that the confession's a, a, a good thing. Absolutely. And uh, I, I, I think we're kind of, we, we are confessional, but we're confessional in our commitment, but perhaps not as confessional as we should be in our ministry. And we'll perhaps touch on this later, but one of the things that impressed me at the OPC General Assembly was the way in which the pastoral ministry, the pulpit ministry is so often taken up with actually teaching the, their people the confession and the large and shorter catechisms, and their confessional, and they're ensuring that their people will have a confessional mind and understanding through their pulpit ministry. I'm guessing, from my experience, mostly across the church that we don't do that in practice, and it's, it's something that I that I saw visiting the church in South Korea as well, there's that sense of focus on ensuring that people in their early years of development, especially that they are taught the confession and the catechisms. Okay, let's move on to that. I mean, uh, I, I discovered American Presbyterianism many years ago, and, and like you, what struck my, my involvement was more with the PCA. Uh, and what I, I found with the PCA was more... Uh, unashamed love of a confession and, and they talk about it, they're more self-consciously re reformed. Um, and here we are in, in the land of the, of the Reformation, the, the mother church of Presbyterianism in, in, in many ways. Um, t tell us some of your thoughts from your, your recent, you were over in Chicago at the General Assembly of the OPC, that's the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Um, tell us what your impressions were. Well, that, that was my, my, my first impression, you know, that that confessionalism, it was, it was meaningful, it was practical, and it was something that they spoke about in their pupil ministry and, and amongst their people. For, as, as principal of the Royal General Assembly, I was also impressed with the way in which their people understood their Presbyterian principles and procedures. They, were, they seem to be good at that, and they seem to be well-versed in, in what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing. So I was impressed with that, as you can imagine. You know, that, that's something that appealed to me. The other thing that, that, that I sensed was the kind of vibrancy in their congregations uh, and uh, visiting their congregations on the Lord's Day and uh, the sense of, you know, families, you know, all ages, you know, in the service. And, and uh, one thing that struck me about that, we... We in Shabbos, we do in a lot of our churches, we have our Sunday schools meeting during the morning service. In the OPC, the, the children are in the service for the whole of the service. And that's, they just grow up as, as part of the life of the church and all of its worship on Wednesday. And I was impressed with these two things, the vibrancy of the congregations and and the involvement of, of whole families in the whole of the service every Lord's Day. That was very attractive to me, and uh, it was quite moving to be part of that. Now, folk often speak about the, uh, sorry, the, the Americanization of, of the free church. I mean, from what you're saying is there's some things that's maybe not all bad, there's some things we, we can learn. Yes, I, th I think we can, we can learn a lot from them. Of course, they've got kind of, it's a large denomination, they, they've, got a large number of congregations, they've got economies of scale in so many different ways that, that we cannot think of. 
But I was impressed with the way in which they do their church planting. And I was speaking to one elder in particular, and his congregation was on their third church plant. So their church planted a church, and the church they planted planted the next church. So, so that they seem to be very successful at their church planting and the way in which that extends through each church plant. I was also encouraged with the way in which they, they do support smaller congregations, and they have that focus on supporting ministry in these congregations and also supporting ministers in general. I think pastor, the pastor, I think they're really good at that. They have kind of organisations and, and groups in place to, to support ministers through their ministry and, and at the end of the ministry. So I think we do have a, a lot that we can learn from them. And uh, in my conversations with them, I think they see us the same way. They look to learn from what we're doing and the way that we do things. And I think we, we both have our strengths. We all have our strengths. And uh, in our relationships with each other, if we can learn from each other's strengths, then we can all be better together. Yeah, they, they've so much more money, though, don't they? America has got money, it has got resources, as well as a a mindset that, you know, there is an American can-do attitude that is certainly lacking in, in Scotland. Um, w- w- would you agree that they tend to be more positive and have that, you know, all things are possible attitude? I think you are right. And uh, I would say that there are just that all things are possible prayerfully because everything that I saw them doing in the assembly, it was covered with prayer. There was prayer before and prayer after all of their decisions. Pretty much part of the positive outlook is that they see the promises of God. They hear God's promise that he will hear our prayers and that that he will give us grace to do all that he has called us to do. And it's having that confidence. And perhaps where we are, perhaps by, by nature, certainly in, in my kind of culture, you know, reluctant to be that positive with all those hedging your bets and being cautious instead of being confident in God's grace and and moving forward in response to the Great Commission and God's call. So the the kind of strap line that you know the free church are working on for the last year is a healthy gospel church for every community in Scotland. Uh, just as you reflect over twenty three years of ministry uh, serving as Presbyterian Clark, as General Assembly Clark. What do you think are the main marks of, of a healthy church? You've touched on one there. Uh, obviously, prayer, a sense of you know, human uh, weakness and, and divine empowerment. Um, t- tell me what marks of a, a local healthy church would you be looking for? Well, I'd be looking for a, a variety of things. And the first thing I'd be looking at would be to do with the doctrine and good preaching, because I don't think you can have a healthy church without good, balanced biblical preaching that leads people to understand the grace of God and God himself and Christ as Saviour and their responsibilities as the children of God. I think doctrine is so important to, to set things out clearly as far as the Great Commission is concerned and what God has done and what he calls his church to do. I think that's absolutely key. I think from there, I'd be looking for development. I'd be looking for people maturing in their faith. I think it's, it's like our physical health. You know, we see our children growing up and they're healthy and, and we take great delight in that. I think we want to see good development is a sign of a healthy gospel church of 
we see people maturing in their faith. I think it's also a sign of a healthy church if we see people devoted in their lives to the Lord Jesus, in a life that reflects who they are, and also devotion to each other in the sense of the unity of the church. I think all of these are marks that are in the DNA of the healthy gospel church and are essential for the church to be the church. Because I think we have, if we have our doctrine, if we have our development, and if we have our devotion, I think we're ready then for discipling and for deploying our people in the Great Commission. So these will be, in general terms, of things that I would be looking for and expecting. And I think there are things that present us as preachers of the gospel with a challenge and also presents all other people that challenge. And it's great to, to analyse what that what a healthy church, gospel church, looks like from the word of God and then to, to inspire our people to, to be positive and to be disciples and to be discipling and, and see the church growing under the blessing of God. We don't forget, of course, the sovereignty of God, as I mentioned earlier, but, but it's the things that we should be doing ourselves that God has promised to bless. And Healthy Gospel Church is, is a great vision. It's thoroughly biblical, and if it grows out of the Bible, then, then in our understanding, then it will grow out of the Bible in, in practice as well. Um as we wind, wind down now, Calm, I mean, you're coming to your end in Shabbos, but you're not, you're not finishing ministry. We are ordained, as it were, for life. Uh, what, what's next for you? Uh, I think it's it's in the DNA of the person called to the ministry to be a servant. I don't think you ever lose that sense of being called to serve and that desire for service. And although I'm retired from full-time pastoral ministry, my desire to serve is still very active, so I do expect and hope to serve the church centrally, doing various things, certainly in, in the coming year at least. I do hope and expect to, to, to serve the gospel as well in my community and in the wider kind of presbytery, helping as, I, as I'm called upon to do so, and helping congregations and helping people as well in, in fulfilling the Great Commission. I think there's I'm hoping and praying that there will be opportunities to serve at that level as well. So I think that the minister's always a servant and desires to serve as long as he's able to do so. Callum, uh, on behalf of the church, uh, you know, I want to thank you for your 23 years of service. We are very grateful, not just for your technical insight, but also for your pastoral heart. You know, as you hinted at, the principal Clark has got a pastoral element. You know, someone may come with a presenting problem, but behind that is a lot of heartache and you've been kind and you've been compassionate. Um, and we thank you for that. Thank you also to the listeners to our Healthy Gospel Church podcast. Again, we are in the middle of a series here. And please tell others about the podcast. Tune in, listen to it as you drive along your car, as you're out jogging, as you're out walking. Tell other people about it. We've got a great and growing uh, listenership. So thank you for your interest and we wish you every blessing in whatever you're doing today. Thank you for joining us.